Welcome to the Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Tuesday, June the 27th, 2023. On this edition of the Politocrat, the American culture, examples of where we are and where we are headed and perhaps have always been. I'll explain this through three news stories two of which you may not have been aware of. All of that, coming up next. Dear listener, welcome to this brand new edition of the Politocrat Daily Podcast. It is Tuesday. I hope you are well. Wow, lots to get to, but I'm going to try to get to three things. And uh, there's so much going on. The Supreme Court uh, making rulings. You've had that over the last few days, including today. It's just so much to keep up with. And, well, you know, to do the best that I can here on this podcast. And, dear listener, I'm going to be talking about three stories that I think really do exemplify the American culture right now and have for a long time. First of all, you're going to be hearing uh, about a story that took place in San Antonio over the weekend. And I do want to warn you, there is graphic content that you will be hearing. In fact, let me be even more specific than that. It will be the sound of gunshots. That is what you'll be hearing in these two separate audio pieces that I will be playing you. So that's something that I want to start off with right now. So be warned again you are going to be hearing the sound of gunshots, gunfire. That's coming up in these two pieces of audio. I'm going to interject after the first piece of audio is played, and I will set up the second clip of audio. Now, what you are about to hear, dear listener, is from a local news station in the San Antonio area. And this is how things unfolded early on Friday morning on a San Antonio news channel entitled KSAT 12. Because of this incident, they are recommending murder charges against three of San Antonio's finest. Three San Antonio police officers in trouble tonight after an early morning shootout. A woman gunned down in her own apartment video showing the officers opening fire as she approaches her door with what the police chief says was a hammer. After reviewing the evidence of this case and speaking with the district attorney's civil rights division, warrants were issued for the three officers who shot and and killed uh, Melissa Pettis. The three officers are being charged with murder. They've already been taken into custody. Police Chief William McManus flanked by the city manager detailing the actions of his officers that he believes deserve murder charges. The three officers are identified as Sergeant Alfred Flores, Officer Eliasar Alejandro, Officer Nathaniel Villalobos. All are veterans of the police force. Word of the arrest and the chief's news conference happening just within the last 40 minutes. Our Avery Everett was there. She joins us live from public safety headquarters. Now, Avery, the chief took no questions during the briefing, but he did give his condolences to the woman's family. 
Yeah, Steve, Patty, Chief McManus identified that woman killed this morning as 46-year-old Melissa Perez. He says SAPD and the DA's office will now start three separate investigations, all looking into exactly how this happened and how we move forward from here. But I first want to give you an update on what exactly we know went down this morning. Officers first responded to a vandalism incident. Chief McManus says Perez was having a mental health crisis when officers tried to speak with her. He says she first threw a glass candle at an officer and then later swung a hammer at them twice. That's when Chief McManus says officers fired. He apologized to the family of the victim, saying this shooting, well, it doesn't reflect SAPD. This event does not accurately reflect the high level of dedication and commitment demonstrated by our over 2,500 officers, nor should it undermine the extensive and advanced training we provide to ensure the health of the safety of both our officers and the community that they served. Chief McManus did not take any additional questions from us because he says this is an active investigation. As we continue to learn more about those three officers and those three investigations, we'll keep you updated on KSAT.com. Reporting live, I'm Avery Everett, KSAT 12 News. Thank you, Avery. And I remember from the earlier reports we did on that shooting this morning that neighbors described this woman as nice and they wondered what went wrong. Of course, we'll continue to stay on top of that story. Well, they wondered what went wrong, Dear listener, but I think it's very clear you heard what went wrong. It was not even a question of what went wrong. It was that these police executed Melissa Perez, who is a who was, excuse me, was a white Latina. Shot dead in her own home. And if you watch that video as the companion to that very harrowing audio that you just heard at the beginning of the report there, dear listener, you will see that this is an absolute execution. Uh, I, I just don't, listen, there's no other way around it. There's no other way around it. And by the way, just for good measure, again, I'm going to warn you that you're going to be hearing sounds of gunfire again. And I apologize because it's certainly something that's very traumatic to even hear. And I'm not a fan of, of playing this kind of audio in general. I really do, however, want you to hear just how police view us. And this happens to black people all the time. And as you know now, a white Latina killed, executed. We saw what happened with Justine DeMond in... Minnesota several years ago. And we've seen this with predominantly black and brown people being shot dead by police and really shot dead in situations where none of the people who were shot dead posed any kind of threat. You can go look at Jalen Walker, the black young man who was shot to death, shot at at least 46 times. I mean, this is just ridiculous. In Ohio, which is absurd. And the cops who shot him that many times weren't even charged. And it was two black cops who shot him. Weren't even charged. Not even charged. And you've got a news broadcaster on that local news station in San Antonio saying, San Antonio's finest. 
You've got to be kidding me. But we can see where the bias is in that report. San Antonio's, because of that incident, San Antonio's finest. Uh, No, I don't think so. I don't think so. And the idea, and you heard the um, police chief there going, oh, well, one action doesn't reflect the vast majority of cops in San Antonio. Are you kidding me? It reflects a culture. And that's not being addressed at all in that report. Before I play the second report from that same radio, or I should say television station, I want to say that, once again, the report you just heard was aired early on Friday morning as breaking news on KSAT News ABC in San Antonio. And what I want to also add to that, dear listener, is the following. The New York Times came up with an article on Saturday by Colby Edmonds, June the 24th, 2023. I'm just going to go straight. I'm not even going to give you the title of the article yet, but I'm going to go straight to a section of the story that Colby Edmonds wrote. I told you this was not New York, San Antonio's finest. Well, not New York's either. It's not San Antonio's finest. And this chief, McManus, is talking a bunch of nonsense. Well, this doesn't reflect. It does reflect. It's a culture. And as Colby Edmonds pointed out here, and she, he or she points out, they point out. And you don't need Colby Edmonds to tell you this. Quote, San Antonio has a long history of police violence, Colby, Colby Edmonds writes in the New York Times from the 24th of this month. In 2018, a police officer shot and killed Charles Roundtree Jr., an unarmed black teen. A police officer shot unarmed Antrony Scott, 36, in 2016, because he thought he was holding a gun. It was a cell phone. And an off-duty police officer killed Marquise Jones, 23, in 2014, shooting him in the back while he was running from the scene of a minor traffic accident. This is very indicative of San Antonio police. What happened to Melissa Perez was par for the course as far as San Antonio's so-called finest are concerned. Melissa Perez was going through a mental health episode. I'll talk a bit more about that after you hear this news report from the same television station 
in San Antonio. This one came about, I think, the next day, Saturday. So Saturday night, I think it was. Or maybe Friday night, I forget. Because don't forget, the first report I played you was early Friday morning. The early hours of Friday morning, this past Friday. This next one was either... Friday night at 11 or maybe Saturday night at 11, something like that. But the bottom line is, is that the three cops and you'll hear more about them in this report. And let me again state that you're going to hear a warning again. Audio discretion, or as you say, listener discretion is advised. You are going to hear the sounds of gunshots and gunfire in this new story that I'm about to play you. Listener discretion is advised. Tonight, our first look at 46-year-old Melissa Perez, shot and killed by SAPD officers on Friday. This photo released by the law firm representing Perez's family. Today, we also received the mug shots of the three San Antonio police officers now charged with her murder. Alfred Flores has been on the SAPD force for 14 years. Nathaniel Villalobos, two years. And Eliezer Alejandro, five years. We also learned all three bonded out of jail today. So let's take a look at what happened, mostly shown through the body cam footage SAPD has already released. Early Friday morning, San Antonio police were called to the 6200 block of Old Pearsall Road on the southwest side. Police Chief Willie McManus said 46-year-old Melissa Perez was having a mental health crisis, cutting wires through the complex fire alarm system. SAPD released this body camera footage showing one officer approaching Perez in the parking lot while she was out with her dog. Hey, lady. The officer begins running after her. The footage showing him hopping over a railing into Perez's balcony. Then he tears the screen off of the open window. The officer pulls away and raises up his gun. You're going to get shot. Shoot me. McManus said Perez then got a hammer and approached officers. Perez then allegedly swung the hammer toward officers, hitting and breaking the window. Another officer's camera catches shots ringing out. The department said the officer's employment was terminated. In another instance, SAPD said they were suspended without pay. KSAT has reached out for further clarification. a statement on behalf of Perez's daughter saying, quote, we have always been pro-police family. This breaks my heart. I always trusted the police to protect me. And now I don't know who to trust. I can't express how hurt we are, end quote. If you just listen to the way that the police talked to Melissa Perez, I mean, it just very, very clearly spells out to me that this is part of a culture of belligerence, arrogance, Sexism, you know, sexism for sure. And brutality, the callousness, the evil of what you just heard. Those gunshots. And those, that, was just a, that was just an execution. That was an execution. And at the end there to hear that statement saying, well, you know, we were always pro-police. Really? Pro-police. Well, I think that's changed now, don't you? I know, it's really rough of me to say that, but uh, yeah, you know, pro-police. I always thought the police would protect me. Well, that's the thing, right? Because as long as other people were being gunned down, yeah, maybe you or someone else, maybe many people, dear listener, 
thought that, oh, the police would be always protect me. I don't care about anyone else to hell with them. I'm not saying that's what this particular person, the daughter, the statement crafted on her behalf is saying. But what I'm saying is that there's a cultural mentality not to speak up or speak out as long as it doesn't affect you. And that's true across the world, isn't it? In many places, I'm not going to say anything because, you know, I'm not the one being attacked. It's those people over there. And that's the whole Pastor Nimola statement that I keep reading out here. First, they came for. Fill in the blank. And then by the end of it all, they came for me and no one was left to speak for me. Well, that's what I'm saying here in a way. You know, well, I always thought the police would protect me. See, I mean, and that statement again is being crafted by an adult for the daughter of Melissa Perez. And I'm just saying that we have this individualistic mentality. But these police, and you just hear these police, one of them on the force for just two years. This is a culture. One on the force for a long time, another one more intermediate. This is a culture. This isn't about, well, this doesn't reflect on the... It does reflect on them. Because this stuff keeps happening, not just in San Antonio, but across the country. It's a culture of violence against black people and brown people predominantly and against women of all kinds of backgrounds. The culture of violence. And there's some white men that get shot by police as well. But the proportionality of it is black men disproportionately. Black men and black women disproportionately to their numbers and their group are being killed more often than than anyone else. I got to tell you, dear listener, this is uh, this is a straight out murder for me. And look, they've been charged with murder. You just heard the reports. They've been charged with murder. And in the New York Times story, and by the way, I'll give you the story title of that I was reading out earlier. I didn't give you the title, but I read part of the article. It's called Free, Three, T-H-R-E-E, Three San Antonio Police Officers Charged with Murder in Woman's Shooting Death. Subtitle, The Officers Fired at Melissa Perez After Responding to a Call Outside Her Home. Now, this is by Colby, C-O-L-B-I, Edmonds, E-D-M-O-N-D-S. June 24, 2023. Sergeant Alfred Flores, Officer Elizar, Elizar Alejandro, he was only on the force two friggin' years. How the hell do you think he became a killer so fast? And Officer Nathaniel Villalobos have been suspended without pay and were taken into custody. And you heard in that report, they all bonded out. They're all out. I wonder how much they had to, they had to raise to get them out of there. And I wonder how high that bond was. I bet you it wasn't very high. Flores had been there for 14 years on that, on the force. Sorry, Alejandro had been there five years and Villa Lobos had been there two years. I mistakenly said the other way around. Villa Lobos has been on there two years. Don't tell me that's not a culture. How did he become a killer so quick? Quote, the shooting officer's actions were not consistent with SAPD's 
Policy and training, William McManus, chief of the department, said at a news conference Friday night. Come on now. You know what's missing there? What do you think's missing there, dear listener? The shooters off the shooting officers' actions were not consistent with SAPD's policy and training. Who do you, what do you think's missing there? This isn't about policies or training, it's about culture. The word culture is missing. It's what I've been talking about like a broken record the last few minutes. Culture. It's not in this article or in the lexicon of the chief of police there in San Antonio. No. The culture is to do exactly what these cops did to a defenseless Mentally distressed, 46-year-old woman. That is what the culture is. Shoot down dead. A woman in mental health distress. And by the way, can I tell you something, dear listener? I want you to uh, consider this. San Antonio has a mental health unit. Oh, yes, dear listener, San Antonio has a mental health unit. Let me read this from the city of San Antonio. Website is sa.gov, sa.gov. And this is called the Mental Health Detail. They were established in 2008. By the way, that was the year that Barack Obama became president of the United States. The nationally recognized, this is right from their website now, sa.gov. The nationally recognized mental health unit works with local authorities and the San Antonio Fire Department to help residents engage relevant mental health support and services. Mental health unit members assist patrol officers with calls. I'm going to read that line again. Mental health unit members assist patrol officers with calls. They also offer crisis intervention training for cadets, officers, and dispatchers. The unit operates out of the Regional Public Safety Collaborative offices at the Southwest Texas Fusion Center. Mission. This is the mission statement. Same webpage. The San Antonio Police Department, SAPD, Health Mental Health Unit, and the Crisis Intervention Team, CIT, develop partnerships with mental health consumers their family members, and other mental health agencies and organizations to better serve residents in crisis. Mental health officers respond to individuals in crisis as a result of a mental health disorder, assessing and assisting them in the most effective and compassionate manner possible. Mental health officers use their training to remain sensitive to residents' needs and display 
the highest level of professionalism. Well, me thinks that there was no mental health unit here. Because this would not have happened in all likelihood had there been a mental health unit with those police. Do listen, I just read you the mission statement and prior to that, the job of the mental health unit straight from the website. These officers did not consult the mental health unit. They didn't. This woman, Melissa Perez, was clearly in mental health distress. She was having a mental health crisis. And these three killer cops did not ever, based on what we know thus far, ever consult the mental health unit. They decided to shoot and execute first and ask questions never. And as a result of that, as a result of that, you have a 46-year-old dead. Her daughter, now motherless. And that could have been avoided, dear listener. Could have been avoided. You heard the gunfire. You heard it. Oh, she swung a hammer. So what? She smashed a window in her own house. Those police weren't in any danger. They all unloaded their weapons into her body. You heard one of these cops shot at least six times. Boo, 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 boo. I mean, my goodness me. All three of them had their guns drawn. And I think at least two of these cops fired their guns. If not all three. I don't see, dear listener, where there is any, any reason to have done this. This is a flat out execution. They totally murked her. It was a murk. They absolutely murked Melissa Perez. Why? Because they could. They have guns, they have badges, and they have the full weight of a city and its government structure behind them and the law behind them, quite frankly. But even the police chief said that this was a case where the facts do not justify deadly force and that deadly force was never reasonable given all the circumstances, quote, as we now understand them. And all of this was caught on body cameras. These cops were aggressive. These cops ripped, you heard the reports, ripped out a screen door fabric, the screen. I mean, these people, they were there to kill her. They shot to kill. And I think, hopefully, these killer cops will rot behind bars. Dear listener, welcome back on this Tuesday. Now, 
I said that there were three stories. Well, really, it's four, but I'm going to conflate two of the news stories because they're really about the same thing. Three stories in the news recently that really do reveal the American culture and it's really it's steroids based growth in terms of the kinds of absolutely well why don't I just play you these two pieces or maybe three pieces of audio the first one you're going to hear is from Walnut Creek California this was last Wednesday evening's report on the local news on Kron 4 News here in San Francisco and then I'll actually come back and tell you about the other pieces of audio you're about to hear. Tonight, the Walnut Creek City Council is considering not letting people call into meetings anymore. This is after several calls involved hate speech. Ground Force Amanda Harry explains. Attack on one of us is an attack on all of us. The Walnut Creek City Council having to address hate speech during their meeting for the second meeting in a row. The first time was during the council's June 6th meeting. Four people called in and made anti-Semitic remarks, criticizing council member Kevin Wilk, who is Jewish. One man identifying himself as Scotty called upset about the council member's comments about pro-white banners. Council member Wilk asked for him to be cut off. I'm the guy that you guys shut down in the last meeting. And what you did was completely against our Constitution and what it stands for. Scotty told the council members they took an oath to uphold the Constitution, and he is exercising his right to free speech. I want to point out Jews are responsible for, for lots of all of the negative in this world. You, that doesn't mean you can shut me down. And I just want to ask Wilk, how do you like those banners? Anti-Semitic banners and leaflets have circulated through the community since last year. Councilmember Matt Francois said he supports and embraces their diverse community, and he doesn't want the council meetings to become an opportunity for this type of rhetoric. And I'm disturbed by those comments, and I think, you know, I'm inclined for us to consider limiting comments by Zoom if this is our future, because I'd, I don't want to be subject to that anymore. If you want to come out of the shadows and stop being a coward and make your comments in public, not anonymously, if you're going to spew that vile, because I don't want to hear it. Some public commenters called in to speak out against anti-Semitism and white nationalism. I'm here to denounce the unseen cowards who used the last public comment period to mutter support for white supremacy and anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. But others supported the callers, including local lawyer Thomas Bloxham. I do not share his views, but I support and defend his right to share his views. In Walnut Creek, Amanda Harry, Cron 4 News. So you heard that report from Cron 4 News here in San Francisco on Walnut Creek. Now, Walnut Creek is in the East Bay of the San Francisco Bay Area. It's about 20 miles east of San Francisco across the Oakland and San Francisco-Oakland Bay Bridge. And so that was from last week. Anti-Semitism during a city council meeting where a commenter calls in on Zoom or wherever they call in from on a phone or whatever to, during public comment, make anti-Semitic comments and aim them at 
one of the members of the city council who is Jewish. So that happened just last week in Walnut Creek, and it's happened several times, as you heard in the report. And now here is the next clip. In fact, the next two clips that I'm going to be playing. And listen to these from, well, you just listen. You'll find out where this is in the country. A South Florida man is out of jail after being arrested during an anti-Semitic protest in downtown Macon. Hello and thanks for joining us tonight. I'm Frank Malloy. The protest started around 4.30 at Temple Beth Israel. But as Anthony Montalto shows you, the anti-Semitic group actually started its day further south in Warner Robins. Friday morning, folks in this Warner Robins neighborhood woke up to anti-Jewish literature right in their front yards. They called the Warner Robins Police Department to investigate, but it didn't stop there because Friday afternoon, folks who appear to be with the same group showed up in downtown Macon outside Temple Beth Israel. We actually have one in the driveway and in front of our house at the mailbox. Teresa Wilson had just gotten home from the bank when her neighbor ran up to her. And said, ma'am, please don't touch that bag in your driveway. And... He was on the phone calling the police at the time. They were plastic bags with anti-Semitic flyers inside, along with some sort of pellet. Wilson and her husband, Joshua, thought it was rat poison. The first instinct was, what about kids? What about people's animals? If this is some poison, then they could easily get a hold of it. Warner Robins police say they believe they're non-toxic pine pellets to hold the packets down. They appear to be from a group called the Goyam Defense League, which the Anti-Defamation League classifies as an extremist group. We want to get people to look into Jewish supremacy. We want people to look into the overrepresentation in our media. About 15 people were outside the Macon Temple shouting what deputies call obscene language through a bullhorn. Rabbi Elizabeth Bahar was inside at the time. We actually have a Torah study that begins at 5.15. So I already had a student here ready to, ready to learn. I had some people on Zoom ready to start learning. And their Shabbat service was set to begin at 6.30. She thought about canceling, but used it as a chance to preach about anti-Semitism. said, uh, you know what? We're not going to let them win. It's our night. It's to pray. This is what we do. This is who we are. And so we're going to pray. Neighbors called the Bibb County Sheriff's Office. Deputies eventually closed the protest down. The group had a blow-up doll representing a gay Jewish man hanging by the neck from a street sign. Mayor Lester Miller says it's county property, so the sheriff's office asked them to remove it and leave. And Macon, Anthony Montalto, 13 WMAC News. After we interviewed him, deputies arrested John Minadeo II for disorderly conduct and public disturbance. They say he kept shouting obscenities through a bullhorn after he was asked to stop. Minadeo was released on a more than $900 bond around 8 p.m., According to the Anti-Defamation League, Minadeo leads the group and travels across the country to spread his views. Oh, now he can just get now to spread his anti-Semitic bullcrap all across the United States. A $900 or so bond. The anchor there did not give you a specific figure, but it what, it couldn't have been very much more than what, 900 and whatever dollars. But look how low that bond is. Listen to how low that is. And now he's free to move about the country, as uh, a certain airline would say. You are now free to move around the country. And, you know, to spread his anti-Semitic bile. $900 and you're free. That was in Macon, Georgia. This guy that was arrested, they had him on camera. You heard him talking his anti-Semitic bullcrap. He's from South Florida. 
Why am I not surprised he's from the state of Florida? He could be from anywhere, though. It doesn't matter which state he's from. And they interviewed him on camera, and you heard the anchor toward the end there saying, well, you know, right after uh, he spoke to us, deputies arrested him for disorderly conduct. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Now he's free to move. He travels around the country doing this. He's not the only one in America doing this. But that's how you let this kind of garbage off the hook. And then lo and behold, you see swastikas all over the place. This is not a new issue. Hatred and anti-Semitism and anti-black person racism has been around forever. Forever. And this country is chief among those countries, countries around the world, in having this. And I don't think nearly enough is being done about it, quite frankly. Not nearly enough. Not even close to nearly enough. I keep reading chapters and sections from the book They Thought They Were Free, the Germans, 1933-45, to by Milton Mayer. M-A-Y-E-R is the last name. And this book really does chronicle how people who seemingly are ordinary people became Nazis literally overnight. Literally overnight. The apathy, the silence. I keep talking about Niemöller, Pastor Niemöller, first day came for. And we are at a point now in the United States where Yeah, there are people who stand up against anti-Semitism. And yeah, there are people who stand up against anti-black person racism. But not nearly enough. The so-called silent majority, where the heck are they? Well, in Macon, Georgia, where that last piece of audio was focused on, the very next day, because that was Friday's event, that report, the very next day, This is what the silent majority did in that very same area of Macon, Georgia. 11 starts now. Macon business owners, religious groups, and individuals chanted in solidarity with the Jewish community this afternoon in front of the Temple Beth Israel in Macon. This happened after an anti-Semitic group held a demonstration yesterday in Warner Robins in Macon. Good evening and thank you for joining us. I'm Camila Williams. Today I watched the Macon community celebrate the Central Georgia Jewish community. Those I spoke with say they don't stand for this kind of hate. They sat and even held hands, showing their support for those who congregate to the Temple Beth Israel Synagogue on Cherry Street. I have to do something. We have to do something. Jim Chris, founder of Theater Macon, heard about the anti-Semitic group, asking for other Maconites to join him and showing their love for the Jewish community. And anytime something like this happens, our response needs to be swift, and it needs to be strong, it needs to be powerful, and we need to say no to that kind of hate. Rabbi Larry Schlesinger, watching as supporters drowned out the noise of the hateful words. He says they just want attention. I mean, we got a confrontation here, but it hasn't, you know, erupted into anything physical. And-
at this point, thank God the sheriff's uh, office is here. The group tried to push their way up the steps of the synagogue, but those who stood in solidarity resisted, holding hands, forming a circle around the entirety of the Temple Beth Israel. This is sacred ground here. This is sacred, like any of our churches in this community, and we must not allow it to be defiled by that kind of hatred. Schlesinger says he knows that anti-Semitism is alive and well, but seeing non-Jewish Christian people stand for something other than what they preach is important. This is really what Macon is all about. Um, it's not what happened here on this corner um, yesterday, but we have a responsibility to respond. And the response was loud and clear. Hate has no place in Macon. We need to um, confront this head on, bring all authorities of the law, both local and federal, uh, into this, and just send a message we're not going to tolerate. I spoke with NAACP of Houston County President Jonathan Johnston, who said here in Houston County, we are a community that works together and has a clear understanding of everyone that comes here. As the NAACP, we are not going to tolerate any hatred of discrimination that causes separation amongst our community. And we want the city of Warner Robins to thrive together. Now, that is a portion of the silent majority, and they were not silent. You just heard in that report there. From this past Saturday, same area of the country in Macon, Georgia. There were people of all walks of life who banded together in solidarity with the Jewish communities there in Macon, Georgia, who were being attacked. I mean, that is how you show support. That is how you become an ally. That's just one of the things you have to do. And... It was very, very clear to me that those people made it very abundantly clear that hate was not welcomed by the people of that area of Macon, Georgia. And it was good. If you watch the video to that report, you will see there were at least 200, if not more, people there. Right by the synagogue, standing up, drowning out the voices of a small hateful but boisterous minority but completely drowning their voices out that is the same contingent that had been around there the the day before with that piece of garbage that was arrested on that friday in macon people have to continue to do the kinds of things that you just heard in that last piece of audio that report that i just played you you need to be doing that in your neighborhood If you are white, particularly, you need to be doing this. When it comes to black people being attacked, black people being abused, discriminated against, murdered, you need to be out in your community saying no more of this and emphasizing that black lives matter, that all lives matter, but especially black lives and no lives matter until and unless black lives do. All lives cannot matter if black lives don't. Because it could be you tomorrow. Just ask the family of Melissa Perez. And this is what I talk about with the Niemöller poem. First they came for Pastor Niemöller, Martin Niemöller, who at one time was a Nazi supporter. He supported Hitler. 
For him, the line was drawn. I've told you this before, dear listener. The line was drawn at, oh my goodness, you're attacking my church? Oh no, you've gone too far now, Hitler. You know, you could continue to do what you were doing to Jewish people, but oh my church, oh no. That was Pastor Niemöller. And then he grew a conscience and said, what is happening to Jewish people in this country, what we're doing to Jewish people is abominable. And Hitler must stop. Now. And so he became a challenger to Hitler. We have to start challenging this fascism and this racism against black folk, against anyone, brown, against the Jewish community, anti-Semites that parade and attack Jewish people. You've seen all of this continue on in this country. And you don't get a sense, at least the way this wacky ass joke of a corporate news media behaves, you don't get a sense that enough people are standing up against it. And that's by design, the way that the media in this country reports on things. You just are left with the feeling, or an impression at least, that nobody seems to really care. And that may not be an entirely inaccurate impression, but that is nonetheless what you are sensing. Until you have to hold your breath for the elections, and then you really get to see how people in the United States really feel. 77 or 75 million of them, or whatever it was last time, seemed very comfortable voting yet again for a piece of racist garbage who had been impeached. Very comfortable voting for him. And I'm talking about white voters in the United States. Very comfortable voting for a racist and a fascist and a sexist. Very comfortable voting for that. And then the question becomes, what kind of country do you want? And well, for some of those, most of those 75 million or so, it's very clear what country they want. But what kind of president do you want? Do you want a president who's actually got lots done in the last two and a half years? Joe Biden. Or do you want to vote for a scumbag who, in my next story that I'll play after the break, is on tape breaking the law? Is that what you want to vote for? I know that 75 million plus will do that in 2024 if this guy ever gets anywhere near the Republican nomination. But I'm just asking, what do you want in a president? And I'm also saying, asking you, are you going to fight back against hatred in this country? Or are you going to leave it to, well, the next generation? California's attorney general is vowing to double to double down to stop hate crimes in California. Good evening. Thanks for joining us for Crime 4 News at 6. I'm Ken Wayne. I'm Pam Moore. As Crime 4 Dan Cover reports now, this comes as a new report shows that hate crimes are on the upswing in California. Our diverse communities continue to face incredible pain and hardship. 
At a news conference Tuesday, Attorney General Rob Bonta announced hate crime events across the state increased more than 20 percent between 2021 and 2022, with blacks, Jews, and the LGBTQ community victimized the most. As the vitriol spreads, so does hate. We've seen that to be true year after year. The report finds crimes motivated by sexual orientation increased 29 percent, with anti-transgender incidents increasing 50 percent between 2021 and 2022. We are a very progressive state, um, and yet we too are not immune to some of these forces. San Francisco Democratic Party chair and activist Honey Mahogany says the LGBTQ community has been targeted before and survived, and the same will happen this time. At the end of the day, we are talking about um, respecting people's human rights, their rights to dignity, their rights to the pursuit of happiness, um, and to be who they are without fear. Um, And we've overcome the sort of negative vitriol and rhetoric that has been spewed by the right in this country time and again, and we can beat it again this time. And at Tuesday's news conference, Attorney General Bonta vowed to have the backs of all those targeted by hate. The facts brought to light in this report only fuel our work and underscore how critical our efforts are. We are doubling down, recommitted, um, as committed and passionate as ever to address hate crimes and hate incidents. Dan Kerman, Cron 4 News. It doesn't happen like we think it does. No one rolls the tanks. No armies meet in pitched battle. It happens quietly, little by little. And because so many think it can't happen, it does happen. Little by little, the rules change. It doesn't seem shocking or sudden. And that's the point. Fewer places to vote, longer lines. Don't worry, they say. We're just improving the system. They hope we won't notice the rules are changing because they lost the last election. They hope we just won't care enough to stop them. They believe they can take America away from us. And we won't even notice. We know who they are. We know what they want. The question is, who are we? Do we let them get away with it? Or do we fight? Democracy is on the ballot. Vote while your vote still counts. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. Welcome back. So the last story of this episode, just the the indicative areas and the aspects of this culture that we have here in the United States to show you how this culture rages on steroids now. Well, it's the news about you know who and the audio tape that came out yesterday, the audio that was released showing, you know, just demonstrating this guy committed a crime. Right there, right there on audio. And I'll play you the audio. I'm only doing it because I think it is something that you should hear. But it only serves to undergird the indictment that came out last month that showed you that this guy is a criminal or that he's accused of crimes. Um, With this indictment, this 49-page indictment that came out last month, Jack Smith, the independent counsel, uh, independent uh, 
prosecutor, an investigator, and you know he's also doing an investigation on this piece of garbage in January 6th, and he's rolling it. Now, if you watched a year ago the hearings on the January 6th committee that they had held all summer last year, a year ago, they were holding summer hearings this the summer last year on this very date, if I'm not mistaken, of the 27th of June of 2022. And they were holding hearings throughout the summer into the fall and then early, um, the I think the late, late part of December of last year and into the early part of January before, of course, the, the, the committee got disbanded by the incoming House Republicans, which is why, dear listener, you must vote in every election. But the January 6th committee established a lot of this stuff that this guy had everything to do with January 6th. We all know this by now, but we're going to see the the criminal manifestations of it with the Jack Smith investigation. And he's most likely, the piece of garbage, is going to be indicted again. And yet there are people in this country who don't seem to care about that. They're cult members. There's no need to do any in-depth analysis of them. These are the people who show up to pizzerias in Virginia or wherever, with guns, because they actually believe that Hillary Clinton was running some kind of... I'm not even going to say the rest of it, because I don't want to repeat the garbage and the bullcrap that these conspiracy theorists and wackadoodles actually believe. I'm not going to repeat it. But you get the idea. This is actual, real criminality that you are about to hear. And I apologize in advance. You're going to have to hear his disgusting voice for the next two and a half minutes or so. Um, CNN tonight has obtained the audio recording recording of Donald Trump, um, in which he appears to tell a writer that he is knowingly in possession of classified material. Now, I should tell you that this is CNN's reporting. NBC News has not authenticated this recording. But if what CNN has obtained is legit, what it appears to be is the tape that's described in the indictment. The evidence that helped lay the groundwork for special counsel Jack Smith to indict Donald Trump. So here it is. Uh, I'm going to play the whole thing for you now. Listen. These are bad, sick people. That That was your cue, you know. Against you. That's well, it started right at the like beginning. Like when Millie's talking about, oh, you were going to try to do a kid. No, they, they were trying right. to do that before you even were sworn in. That's right. Trying to overthrow your election. Well, with Millie, uh, let me see that. I'll, I'll show you an example. He said that I wanted to attack Iran. Isn't it amazing to have a big pile of papers? This thing just came up. Look. This was him. They presented me this. This is off the record, but they presented me this. This was him. This was the Defense Department and him. Wow. We looked at some. This was him. This wasn't done by me. This was him. Yeah. All sorts of stuff. Pages long. Look. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. Let's see here. Yeah. <laughs> I just found, isn't that amazing? This totally wins my case, you know. Mm-hmm. Except it is like highly confidential, yeah. secret. <laughs> it's a secret information. Look, look at this. You attack. And Hillary would print that out all the time. You know? <laughs> she it, no, she'd send it to yeah. Anthony Weiner. Yeah. Yeah. The pervert. Um, 
that incredible? Yeah. I was just saying, because we were talking about it. <laughs> and he, you know, he said, he wanted to attack Iran and what? And he said, you did. This was yeah. done by the military, given to me. Uh, I think we can probably get yeah? yeah, well, it. We'll have to see. Yeah, we'll have to try to figure out a, a yeah. See, as president, I could have declassified. Yeah. Now I can't, you know, but this is yeah, classic. Now we have a problem. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's so cool. I mean, it's so, I'm look, we here and I have and you probably almost didn't believe me, but now you believe me. No, it's, I believe It's incredible, you. right? No, they, hey, bring they some cokes uh, in, please. Why? That's the criminality. Oh, it's top secret. You know, I could have declassified it, but I didn't. And so he's got these documents he's not supposed to have. He knows he, that they're top secret documents. He's obviously no longer in the White House. And there he is parading them around. Oh, look here, papers shuffling. He's obviously looking at the frigging documents. You don't have to have the video to know that. He's not holding up imaginary pieces of paper. You can hear the goddamn paper that he's ruffling through. Let me look here. You can hear the blooming stuff. You can hear the paper. Look at this. See, look at this. And you hear the person say, wow. Come on. He's committing a crime right in front of you. Right in front of you. And it seems to me that there are, it's not seeming, it's a fact. A cross-section of people in this country do not care because they're cult members and they're a bunch of blooming racists. And it's the white voters in this country are the ones who continue to vote for him. They vote for him more often than they do for Democrats in the president's race. We've seen this over and over for years. You have to go back to, I think, the first term of Bill Clinton the last time that more white people voted for a, the Democratic uh, presidential nominee than for the Republican one. I mean, that's what's going on in this country. And that means that there is a lack of moral core to at least 74 million people in this country, the vast majority of whom are white, a lack of moral fiber or any kind of core, there's an emptiness. And then you have to ask yourself, why is there an emptiness? Is there something in the society that has backfired, betrayed them? They thought, they thought, they, they meaning the white people who vote for this piece of garbage, thought that, oh, they were high and mighty and superior. And yet they fail at every turn. And so they need to find someone to blame it on. Because, of course, they're not courageous or smart enough to look inward at themselves and examine themselves and ask why they, with all the privilege in the world, continue to fail, continue to flounder, and are so profoundly miserable and unhappy. That is something they're never going to truly investigate because to do that would cause them immense pain. Who wants to go dig deep and excavate themselves? Oh, no. That's called therapy. That's called introspection. And because, in my view, at least 74.5 million people, the vast majority of whom are white, lack those kinds of qualities and that kind of endeavor, well, they're going to blame it on you. They're going to blame it on me. Oh, it's that black person. Oh, it's that brown person. That's where they're going. And that's the kind of president they want. A president who makes them forget 
about how much of a failure they are. A president who makes them forget that the system of white dominance is the very system that is failing them and is actually perpetrated against them because it has duped them, made them as ignorant as ever. And that's by design so that that very system can continue to thrive. The biggest dupes in the United States are white people buying into this fantasy, extremely dangerous at that, of a system in a country that supposedly works for them and it's brilliant and what's wrong with those black and brown folk and those Native Americans? Can't they pull themselves up by the bootstraps? There's got to be something wrong with them. Oh, not us. We're really great people. Never mind all of the domestic violence in our neighborhoods and all the fentanyl addiction and the opioid addiction in our neighborhoods. Never mind all of that. And all the guns we've got and how bored we are and how miserable and depressed we are. Never mind all of that. We're the best. And we'll have a president that will absolutely make us forget how bad and low and stinky we are. Because that's America. Something must be wrong with those black folk who we've got a 400-year head start over because they can't get their act together, so something's got to be wrong with them. But the system that we have, oh, it's perfect. It works so well for us. So well for us. I mean, the education system's brilliant, don't you know? It works so well and the system works so well for us. Huh, so well for us that most of the people in this country who read below a sixth grade reading level are white. I can hear you now. Well, we make up more in the country uh, percentage-wise than anyone else. Well, yeah, but I can tell you this. Still, more white people in this country are poor and illiterate and uneducated than any other group. So you tell me just who exactly is this system working for when you're talking about the average white person? Because it ain't. You have been sold a bill of goods. A very expensive bill. Don't you think? Oh, can you order some Cokes, please? Can you order some Cokes? That's the last line of what he said, by the way, in that, that tape, that audio you just heard a few minutes ago. Oh, can you order some Cokes? Can you bring some Cokes in here, please? I tell you, there's another piece of audio that you're going to hear that absolutely underlines the lack of seriousness that the corporate news media, at least some in it, seem to approach this very serious situation of someone who used to be in the White House who was sharing all kinds of documents with people he had no business even having to begin with, and then secondly, no business even sharing. Those documents do not belong to him. They belong to the country, to the government, to the people, not to one freaking fascist dictator, because that's what he's angling for. You're going to hear a piece of audio, I promise you, dear listener, that will underline the lack of seriousness in general 
in some or many parts of the corporate news media, specifically MSNBC. You'll hear that audio coming up, I promise you. So stay tuned. Imagine the end of that piece of audio. Oh, bring the cokes in. That's what he has a nerve to say. Like, this is no big deal. It's like saying, pass the Grey Poupon. They've only got top secret and classified documents. Eh, no big deal. That audio came from roughly around July of 2021, just in case you may have been wondering. It was obtained by at least two sources. New York Times was one of them. I think CNN was the other. And it's been played on all the networks. And it's been played everywhere. You, 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 I mean, geez, you can't ignore the damn thing. But this corporate news media has to start taking this stuff seriously and stop covering this piece of garbage the way he wants to be covered. And I think you will see, at least here, when you hear this audio, that the corporate news media is failing to cover this in the serious way at large that it should be. And they continue to cover all of these crimes and alleged crimes the way that he wants them to cover those things as far as he's concerned. That is an instant fail. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of the Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. Barbara McQuaid, invaluable to have you here tonight. Thank you so much, Barb. Let's have some Cokes. <laughs> All right. We'll send out for them. All right. We'll be right back. Stay with us. <laughs>